Kachovka Ecocide, its causes and impact. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. On June 6th, Russia blew up the Kachovka Dam, causing a massive environmental catastrophe in southern Ukraine. The impact of this ecocide will last for decades. In this episode, we discuss the causes of this crime and its consequences for Ukraine's people, ecosystems, economy and war effort. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and chief editor of ukraineworld.org. In this episode, I talk to Maxim Panchenko and Anastasia Herasimchuk, analysts and journalists at Ukraine World. Ukraine World is a website in English about Ukraine, which is brought to you by Internews Ukraine. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Okay, your colleagues, Maxim and Nastya, thanks so much for joining me in this podcast. Let us discuss first what happened and who is responsible and how this crime, ecocide, is actually showing us the way how Russians are waging the war in Ukraine. Maxim, let's start with, uh, with the event itself, what happened and who is responsible. Well, so the event itself consists in the fact that the Novakakhovka uh, hydro plant was blown up a couple of days back, early in the morning, at 2.30 in the morning, I think. And this, uh, first of all, uh, is a big disaster just by the, sh- by the sheer uh, volume of it, by how much has been destroyed. And also it is a disaster in terms of how multifaceted and multifaceted and big, enormous uh, the fallout is. And it is it is very different, and we're going to talk about all these facets. It's the ecological damage, it's economical d- damage, it's the damage to the energy system of Ukraine, it's the dam- damage to people in terms of human losses, uh, unfortunately. And uh, also, last but not least, it's the uh, consequences for the potential of Ukraine's counteroffensive. Indeed, and um, of course there was a discussion immediately after the the event on the sixth of June, who is responsible? And there was lots of uh, lots of media talk in international media, saying that Russia and Ukraine mutually accuse itself themselves about the about the uh, this crime. But uh, we should just put the facts straight, right? Ru- uh, this dam was occupied uh, by the Russian troops since February twenty twenty two. Russians had all the capacity to mine it. The destruction of the dam simply by a rocket or a shell is very, very unlikely because you need really to have lots of explosives on, on the ground. This is a huge construction which was constructed uh, capable of even withstanding a nuclear strike as Ukrainian uh, authorities say, as Ukrainian experts say. And uh, we also know that Ukrainians were trying to damage the Antonivsky Bridge in Kherson several times, and uh, in many aspects they failed, they, they damaged it, but they did not, did not destroy it altogether when um, Ukrainians were uh, 
recapturing, making a counteroffensive on Kherson in October, November 2022. So it's it's really difficult to uh, to produce such a huge destruction from the outside, from the distance. Um, so what happened? Either there, there is, for example, a hypothesis that Russians, it was a simple criminal negligence as they, they just didn't pay attention to the maintenance work and they didn't pay attention to the increase of the water levels. This probably is possible as well, but there's, for me, when I, when I look at the photos, it's, it's really hard to, to think about in this way. But anyway, this place was under control of the Russians first. Secondly, uh, it's it's quite often we see that that a a, a force that defends itself blows up the dams, uh, especially in this region uh, of the world. And we have seen it during the Second World War when the Red Army explodes, blew up the dam of Niprohes. Uh, in Zaporizhia. And uh, interestingly enough, I've been to Dnipro has just a few days before. It's in, in Zaporizhia. It's upper to the Dnipro. We, we, we went to Hortica, to Zaporizhia. We have seen this Dnipro has, and we have seen these stories how it was blown up during the Second World War in August 1941. And uh, the logic was practically the same, to stop the German army advancing and uh, without any reference, without any thought about what happened next, all these floods, floods into the city, floods into the into the uh, villages around. So I, perf- I, frankly speaking, have this this impression. What do you think, Maxim? I agree. Indeed, uh, this is something that should have been the case. Uh, and in addition to what you've just said, uh, first of all. This is not the first time that Russia is doing something like this. I mean, not the Soviet example you just used, but even but even during this war. Because uh, a couple of months back, half a year back, when Ukraine was retaking uh, the right bank of the occupied Kherson Oblast. So that same situation happened there, but in a smaller scale. Because on the right bank of the Dnieper River itself, there is this river in Hulets, which basically divided the occupied patch on the right bank of the Dnieper River, uh, the occupied patch of Ukrainian territory uh, by half. And to stop Ukrainian troops from crossing from one bank on that Inhulets River to another bank, and that way to stop Ukraine's counteroffensive back then, Russia similarly blew up a dam in uh, Krivoyrych, which is up the stream of Inholets River. and But the dam was smaller and the HPP was smaller, so this did not gain this much attention in the, in the world as as this happening a few days ago did, because this one is huge by, by the sheer volume of the happening and uh, and by the sheer, um, well, the sheer volume of the dam that was that was blown up. So that's one. But again, let's uh, think about the motivations here, because again, if Ukraine would have done this, so that would mean that Ukraine burned a bridge not after, not behind itself, but in front of itself. It it would be shooting oneself in the foot. And now, basically, Ukraine does not have any uh, viable ways to uh, reach the left bank from the right bank of the Dnieper River, because of course we can uh, speak about this. Um, 
these bridges, uh, technical bridges that can be thrown over the river, the, these military structures, uh, and that some of our partners have given us, indeed. But uh, first of all, this is a very uh, complicated story to do that. So that's uh, first. And uh, secondly, if somebody thinks that a Ukrainian idea might have been that the water level would be smaller because of there no be uh, there no being any more dam, uh, this will not help Ukraine because basically the um, e- e- even though water would be lower, the surrounding areas would be basically swamps, and putting tanks over there or something it would not uh, do Ukraine any good, which suggests that Ukraine had no interest in doing this. Quite the opposite, that was the only way that uh, Ukraine could get to the left bank if uh, you know if at all not the only way because Ukraine controls parts of the left a uh, huge amount on the left bank of course the city of Zaporizhia for example so it's not that to enter the left bank of Dnipro you need to cross Dnipro right and yeah. if you go upper Ukraine is on the left bank and um, you know it can just move to the south but indeed uh, the dam is also a bridge and it is a very important bridge and uh, while the Antonivsky Bridge in Kherson is not really operational, uh, the, the the bridge uh, in Kachovka Dam could serve as the major uh, the major way. Let us talk about immediate consequences, and uh, I would uh, address right now to Anastasia Heresimchuk, my colleague. So, the a- immediate consequences for civilians, for villages, for for evacuation, what we are witnessing right now, what is happening right now, because we see lots of these horrible pictures of uh, houses under the water, that uh, two-story, three-story houses are under the water. The water level can be like three meters high, e- e- even more. There are lots of volunteers who went to this region from Kiev and from Zaporizhia and from other other towns to help. And there, are, there is a big need in boats. Boats are something that the most needed right now in the region. But Nastya, can you tell us about uh, what what we hear what we hear from the witnesses and what you see? Let me be a bit emotional here, Volodya, because we always operate uh, facts when it happens, when such things happen when disasters or Russian crimes take place. But here we don't only talk about figures. We don't only talk about facts. It's about the life itself. So what is going now? What is going on now uh, in the uh, in impacted regions, areas? The life is being uh, deprived by Russians from there. The lives of villages and cities, the lives of animals, the lives of plants. And we know that within the first several hours after Russians blew up the dam, uh, the city zoo in Novakakhovka was flooded and about 300 of animals died. The same situation with pets and with domestic animals. Uh, people are deprived of their properties and they're deprived of their homes. Their connection with their motherland is disrupted. And we even don't know when when they will be able to come back to their homes and if they find their homes there at all. So if we talk about the immediate consequences, first of all, first of all, we talk about the houses, about the households, about the res- residential areas that are heavily flooded. 
We talked with Oleg Baturin, a journalist and author of investigations at the Center for Journalistic Investigations. He's originally from Kherson region and he's uh, informationally deep, deeply involved in this situation. So he told that um, as of yesterday, the water continued to arrive in settlements of the Dnipro's lower reaches and the water level in the Ingolets River continued to rise. Uh, and by the way, we also know that uh, even Mukalaev region was affected uh, by the floods. Some areas are flooded there. Uh, already yesterday, there was a significant drop in the water level in Novakahovka and, of course, in the Kahovka Reservoir. And when it comes to Kahovka Reservoir, uh, the drop in the water level is not a good news. Uh, today, uh, we also observed the um, drop in the water level in Kherson itself. However, uh, according to the uh, according to the state officials, uh, 40, 34 uh, villages and towns are um, still flooded, and three thousand seven hundred thirty nine households are still flooded. And today, the emergency service of Ukraine uh, evacuated two thousand five hundred uh, people from the affected area. If we uh, talk about uh, the banks of Dnipro River in Kherson region, the right and the left bank, the situation differs there. Uh, the right bank, uh, let's remind uh, our listeners that uh, the right bank of uh, Dnipro River was liberated by Ukrainian forces. And here the state services and volunteers are actively working. Uh, they are providing uh, local people with help and the evacuation efforts are underway. Um, however, some areas of the right bank uh, are in a dire state. Mm, they are affected by heavy flood and it's very difficult to reach these areas and it's possible to do so only by boats. And people can leave these areas only using boats. The issue here is that Russians, while they were retreating from the area, they were looting people's houses and they also stole a large amount of boats. That's why the situation is a bit complicated there. Uh, despite this fact, the overall situation on the right bank remains manageable and uh, people, state services are doing everything possible uh, to control the situation. And Oleg Baturin told us that even uh, despite these harsh conditions, local people show their optimism. They believe in better future. If we talk about the left bank of Dnipro, which is currently under occupation, um, the situation is really very difficult. The occupation authorities uh, do not um, conduct any uh, evacuation, so people are left to their own, fa own fate. They are literally abandoned. Unfortunately, there is no precise information about the number of people who are uh, who are blocked in their homes because of flood. Uh, we also know about several villages that are completely submerged. And uh, if several days ago it was possible to receive some calls from people from the occupied territories, now there are less and less of these calls because evidently the phones of these people uh, get uncharged. So the situation is extremely difficult and precise numbers are unfortunately unknown. However, Ukrainian um, defense forces are trying to help people from the left bank as well, uh, as much as it's possible. Mm, and it's 
really difficult to do so because Russia is controlling these territories. But uh, we know one success story from the left bank of Dnipro River. Uh, Ukrainian uh, defense forces managed to rescue a family from Oleshki city, which is occupied by Russians now. So um, we also can find a small positive uh, thing here. Uh, the left bank, which is occupied by Russians, um, is uh, full of Russian uh, soldiers. Not all of them were informed about the plans of their command. So some of their positions have been flooded. So at least uh, we know that uh, the occupiers also suffered from this situation. Yeah, but... Uh, of course, this is this is not something that we uh, we can cherry about because seeing all this all the strategies that you Nastya have described, and and really one more element to the point is that people who are on the ground who came to Kherson, Ukrainian volunteers, report that uh, Russians have been shelling these uh, uh, attempts to evacuate people. So they they have been shelling the the accumulation of people, uh, those people who try to help others and this is also shows how how horrible all this is so that russian soldiers do not help to evacuate people on the left bank we hear the stories also that even they block those flooded villages with people unable to leave them and this all reminds us you know lots of stories in our history that therefore we keep on talking about this that this is all the repetition of the earlier evils uh, when uh, during Holodomor, the the punishment by famine, the great famine of the 30s, uh, there was these uh, people who were not letting peasants who were dying from hunger, not letting them uh, leave their villages. Unfortunately, this is something that that continues today. So lo- lots of lots of really difficult stories about some people are went missing because we don't know where they are in these villages. And uh, there are lots of information in the local media and local telegram channels that I see these faces. This person has been missing, has has went missing, has gone missing, or this particular person. And as I say, there are lots of groups of volunteers from all the uh, regions of Ukraine who came, uh, who were coming to Kherson, and who actually the needs, of course, are changing all the time. So people need really boats, but boats in steel, not just uh, not just rubber boats, because rubber boats are very vulnerable. Imagine you're on a on a on a, a street of a city, and you just uh, you know move in a boat, and you can just uh, you know touch something, touch something, uh, um, and puncture. W- yeah, which which can actually destroy your your rubber boat. So. There is a need of uh, steel boats, there is a need of uh, engines for boats and lots of things like that. Uh, Also, um, unfortunately, tragically, there is also a a, a damage to Ukrainian cultural heritage. And at least we can talk about several very important places, like, for example, a museum, house museum of Polina Raiko, who is a fantastic Ukrainian um, painter, self-made self uh, self-taught painter who just turned her peasant house into an object of art into an art object with this you know primitive style the so-called primitivism style of painting and she was doing it when she was old already so 
uh, after living her life. And when we see at those photo, photos, these are just sound incredible. And this is an a, a art object which exists in one only one capacity. It's it's unique. It can cannot be replicated. Lots of stories like this. Let's move to the questions of war because it is very important. And I, I would like to address Maxim. Uh, what is how how this ecocide will actually uh, suspend, delay, stop Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive? What do you think? Well, the main issue here is the one I already mentioned uh, a bit back um, because. Before this dam was blown up, uh, Ukraine had a choice and had uh, basically the uh, a factor of unexpectedness to present Russians with. Uh, it could uh, b- because the Kherson region and the Zaporizhia region uh, can be or could be reconquered either from uh, the north, from the remainder of the uh, the unoccupied re- remainder of the Zaporizhia Oblast, or from the west. Uh, over Dnipro, uh, from uh, to uh, from the Kherson Oblast uh, to to the remainder of Kherson Oblast that is now occupied still in the direction of Crimea. However, uh, or this could be combined, you know, and there could have been a play there, uh, how to make Russians go from that territory. Now, uh, all Ukraine can do is uh, Ukraine basically basically is limited in the uh, reconquest of this uh, region only by the option of uh, offending offending from the north uh, of the Zaporizhia Oblast, the part that is unoccupied uh, for the time being. And so that is uh, very unfortunate because uh, that is much harder than uh, it could have been. Uh, And uh, from the last couple of days, what we hear is that indeed there have been Mm, there have been fighting, very uh, cruel fi- fighting this last couple of days, uh, specifically on the Zaporizhia uh, front. And uh, it uh, maybe could have been better, easier, uh, if we had this option of a, of a game from two flanks. Yeah, we've just returned from Zaporizhia. We have been there from the 1st to 4th of, of June. Maybe we will make a podcast about Zaporizhia because it's it's very interesting because the city is just 30 kilometers from the Russian troops. And indeed, there are places which are which are very hot right now, like Orehove or uh, Hulaipole or uh, some others. So it's it's it can be another very important direction. And uh, we see that those fights are really uh, going on uh, these days. Let's talk about intermediate consequences and let's start with energy. And of course, the the key question here is the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is located a little bit higher on the Dnieper River, uh, which is located in in a town called Enerhodar, which is on the left bank. Right um, in front of it, there is a town called Nikopol, uh, which we visited a few months ago, and you can you can find our podcast about Nikopol as well. But of course, the the oldest Kachovka water reserve or water reservoir is actually partially needed also to cool the station to to provide this cooling water for the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And if the level of the water drops down and it drops down significantly after the destruction of the ba- of the dam what happens exactly to uh, to the plant to the nuclear power plant which is the biggest in Europe 
Well, yes, indeed, this is going to be a big problem. And moreover, I think I saw news this morning that the level of water has already dropped below uh, the level in the Novakohovka uh, reservoir, b- below the level at which the nuclear power plant in uh, Zaporizhia can be self-sustained when it comes to the water resources uh, from the Dnipro River. Uh, from that reservoir, meaning. And uh, indeed, if uh, if this is uh, going to be the case henceforth, uh, there are several options that the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is left with. Uh, so the first one would be that uh, the power plant would have to use these m- mobile pumping stations that would have connected hoses to them. And uh, basically, uh, those hoses would have to be thrown further in the, in the Dnipro River, which now has shrank shrunk sorry and uh, you know so we're talking about bigger length of from, from which the water is going to be taken but this may sound simpler like so what you're just going to you know to have bigger houses but that's the idea it's not that simple first of all we need to understand that the that from the russian side basically i'm not sure maybe from both both sides but what matters now is that from the Russian side, the Dnipro River, that bank around the uh, NPP, is uh, mined. And in order for this uh, solution with uh, mobile pumping stations and the uh, hoses to work, Russians would have to agree to demine it. And they, of course, would uh, see this as a vulnerability to their military projects, so to say. Uh, in Ukraine, so uh, there, this is a major, um, major factor here, and of course the second thing is, uh, as one of the experts I talked to said, like technical issues aside, the biggest thing we should worry about now is that we do not know what's going on in the uh, heads of the Russians because they have been storing their weapons inside the buildings of the nuclear power plant. Uh, They have been uh, carrying out uh, provocations, shelling territories in the immediate proximity of uh, of the NPP. So we really should not be um, sure that Russians would be behaving themselves as sane human beings when it comes to nuclear uh, safety and everything that's going to happen around the NPP henceforth. At the same time, this is probably one of their strategy to show themselves that, look, we are crazy, we can do whatever we want, we just blew up the uh, the dam, and therefore we can do the same with the nuclear power plant. And they're sitting fear. That's the, the, the only emotion with which they work. And uh, I think we just do, do not need to sit against this fear and to let Russians play with us. Uh, they should be fearful. They should be should have fear about Ukrainian counteroffensive, and uh, we see that fear actually in in the Russian information environment, in Russian propaganda. We see that there is something, some there are cracks in their psychology, and therefore I think this is also a, a, a big geopolitical psychological game. Who will? have more fear which we should we cannot allow ourselves to have this fear because tyrant is ruled by fear if tyrant is understand that you you're afraid of them they will only increase you know actions that produce this fear let us talk about maybe long-term consequences and i will address to nastya and ask you about the long-term consequences for the environment what can we expect in this for the environment, for cities, for 
for locations, for ecosystems, for the economy? What can we expect in this respect? Environment indeed is going to be the most heavily affected by the crime committed by Russia. We can say for sure that it's another example of ecocide Russia has been committing in Ukraine since the very beginning of the full-scale invasion. Uh, this one, this act of ecocide is unprecedented in its scale if compared with everything that happened since uh, October 2022. Uh, we talked with uh, several experts, uh, environmental scientists, and uh, Anatoly Pavelko told about the dire consequences for all ecosystems located in Dnipro below the Kahovka Dam. Um, first of all, we should mention the water problem. The first and the biggest problem here is the water pollution. And we already see that garbage, wastewater, agrochemicals from flooded areas are already moving to Dnipro River, uh, and they already even reached the Black Sea. So yesterday and today, people from Odessa region are observing uh, huge um, parts of uh, soil, of trees uh, from Kherson region. They also see parts of houses, furnitures. So even within several days, we are already observing the dire consequences for environment. Uh, we also can talk about the secondary pollution of water. So the water level in Kahovka Reservoir is getting lower and lower, and there are risks of, um, of getting the sediments that are on the bottom of this reservoir. Uh, they can get to the air and to the soil, uh, which is really, really dangerous for uh, not only the nature, but for people as well. Uh, there are also problems connected with water supply from Dnipro River. Those areas, namely, these are Kherson region, Kherson Oblast itself, uh, Zaporizhia Oblast, Dnipro, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast, they get uh, drinking water from uh, this reservoir, so there can be problems with uh, supplying water to people. Now, of course, the state is doing everything possible uh, to uh, supply water to those regions, but the whole system, the whole mechanism is already disrupted. We also uh, will see dire consequences for flora and fauna. The habitat of aquatic biota is disrupted. This flood uh, washed away all the living things that cannot move in rapid currents. So we are talking about the species of fish that can no, cannot move in rapid current. And of course, we talk about the young fish. Uh, and we already see the consequences in Nipro region. There was the mass uh, die-off fish uh, from Dnipro River. Uh, Semi-aquatic animals will also suffer because uh, of flooding of their habitat. So we expect that number of species can die because of this uh, disaster. Here, the mine threat is also very important. Uh, the flood wave uh, can lead to washing away um, the mines. They were... Uh, quite many mines on the shores of Dnipro River. So they are being washed away and they drift to other places. Uh, and some, uh, some of these mines were already observed already in the Black Sea. 
there are risks of collision with some with other objects objects washed away and it can lead to detonation there are also hidden threats uh, when the process of demining will take place some of these mines can be hidden under rubbish which also cause so many uh, so many threats to people who will be demining the territories and to local people as well uh, if we talk about but these consequences they are not exact and they are not final yet uh, as Evgenia Zasyatka uh, she is she is the head of climate department at the Eco Action Center for Environmental Initiatives. Uh, told uh, the exact consequences will be visible after the uh, water recedes, uh, because now it's difficult to tell what exactly will happen with the whole ecosystem of the region or the whole ecosystem of the Black Sea. We also cannot say yet about the influence on microclimate of the region. So we need to wait for several weeks uh, so that uh, the situation gets more clear and new details will appear and new prognosis can be made. If we talk about agriculture, uh, the receipts of water in Kahovka Reservoir is a huge uh, damage for Ukrainian agriculture since uh, the irrigation system was based exactly on this reservoir. And thus, Russia put under threat the whole uh, food security food security system. Uh, because uh, according to prognosis, uh, Ukraine will get 15% less crops from the fields in, in affected regions. Mm, there are also consequences for uh, demographic situation in Ukraine. Uh, it is expected that about 400,000 um, people will have to leave the territory just because um, because of the floods and because of the problems connected to the environment. And in long-term perspective, um, about a million and a half people uh, will likely to leave these territories because of the problems with employment, uh, because of the problems with uh, food security and because of the climate. Uh, and if we talk about the industry, uh, several important factories are located, which are located in the Porizhia and Dnipro region, um, depend on water supplies from Kahovka Reservoir. So there are risks that there will be problems with operating these factories. Um, but as I've already told, we need several weeks to see what exactly um, will, will happen in those regions. So some consequences are already visible. Some consequences are be to, to see. Thank you, Nastya. Thank you for this account. And indeed, we see that these consequences are actually very long term. So it's not like... You just blow up a little dam and there are problems with the crops this year. They can produce irreversible consequences for these ecosystems. And we understand the context of, of which uh, all this is happening is that Kachovka, the construction itself of Kachovka Dam has created the changes in ecosystems because all these places were a great Cossack, Ukrainian Cossack places, which is which was a mixture between rivers, lakes, 
Midos, the so-called Veliki Luch, the, the Great Mido, which actually started in Zaporizhia and was going down the Dnipro River up until Kachovka, up until Kherson, all those places. And the construction of the Kachovka Reservoir itself uh, just put these places underwater. And uh, the ecosystems, it took it several decades to adapt. And now they will take several decades to adapt probably to this new change. Unless probably the, 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 the war is over, Ukraine uh, gets a victory, rebuilds the dam, which is also possible, and we will in a couple of years return uh, to the previous situation. So to conclude, we are facing an enemy which is not only waging the war against people, well, it's certainly not only waging the war against Ukrainian military, as we know, it is waging the war against Ukrainian civili civilians, it's dropping bombs on residential buildings, it kills uh, people who prepare to evacuate in their civilian cars, it bombs the hospitals uh, with tanks and missiles, and we have seen lots and lots of these cases. But now we see that it is also the war against nature. It's, it's a war against living uh, creatures. It's the war against uh, ecosystems. It's genocide, but also ecocide. And uh, we think, of course, that the reaction of the world should be very, very harsh on this. This is not only about Ukrainians. This is not only about our cities or our territories. This is really a force that conducts the war against life. This is a biophobic force. Uh, biophobic force and necrophilic force that conducts its war against the, all which is well, all which is you know living the living creatures the living beings, and therefore this uh, opposition to the towards this force which shows its global uh, global biophobic nature should be also very decisive. This is our conclusion from this uh, from this story. Thank you, uh, our audience, for listening. Thank you, Nastya and Maxim, for joining this podcast. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine. This was our weekly episode in which we try to summarize the key events and trends in Ukraine and around Ukraine, as you, we usually do from the 5th of June until 9th June. But we actually focused only on uh, Kachovka Dam because, again, this is an event which will have major consequences for for nature and for Ukraine and for the global food security, you name it. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm the chief editor of Ukraine World. I was joined by Maxim Panchenko and Anastasia Heresimchuk, my wonderful colleagues from Ukraine World, who are journalists and analysts at our team. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Don't forget to support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We will try to supply our patrons with exclusive content as much as we can. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.